Join me in prayer now as we get ready to dig in. We're going to start through Matthew chapter 6 today. God, I pray that you would bless this time. God, I thank you, Father, that we have the technology that we have, God, that we can record worship from uh, the first time we were going through this whole uh, quarantining phase, God, and use it even now, Lord God, and how timely it is even now. I thank you, Father, that we can come together online and spend time together with you, Father. But I pray, Lord, that you would, um, God, give us a longing to come back together. Father, to be in fellowship truly with one another, Lord. But while we're away, I'm thankful, Lord, that we have um, the ability to come together on Facebook or on YouTube and just write in those comments, Lord, and just be, be in community as much as we can with one another. God, I pray today, Lord, that your word would speak with power. God, that your word, Father, would do what it's supposed to do, Lord. We know your word is like a two-edged sword. It's like a scalpel, Lord. It gets in there and just cuts down and separates out the, the meat from the bone, Lord. God, it, it tells us, Lord, exactly what we need to hear. And so, God, I'm asking that you would do that work today as we come together into just a continuation, Lord, of your your Sermon on the Mount, God. It's it's good. It's rich. It's worthy, Lord, of just our time and our, our consideration, God. And so, Father, open our ears. Get us ready. Prepare our hearts, God, for the word that you want to speak. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you guys, for the last three weeks, Jesus has been doing heart surgery on us and just hitting us with some pretty hard things. And uh, I hate to tell you, but it doesn't end there. And I don't hate to tell you. I'm actually glad to tell you. It doesn't end there. We're going to continue uh, on. But this message I've entitled Private Disciplines because these three things that we're going to talk about today, you're going to notice are not something that Jesus is coming at and saying to his disciples, you know, if you do these things, then hmm, this is the way you got to do it. No, not once does he say that. He says when. When you do these things. And so as we go through these private disciplines, these things that should be indicative of disciples of Christ, as we go through these things, I want you guys to to have a heart to hear what he's saying, not only to the disciples of this time, but to us. And so we're going to look at these actions, these, these private disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting. And so we're hitting pretty close to home today. And so I want to encourage you guys that, first off, I'm just reading God's word, and it's his job to figure out what that means to you. So please do not think that I'm up here begging for money or that I'm telling you that you're doing a horrible job in any of these areas. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm asking you to open your heart and be ready to say, God, what is my heart towards these things? God, show me where I might grow in you in these three areas. And that's what I'm asking myself as well. And so let's dig in. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says this. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, not to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may uh, have glory from men. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So giving is what Jesus is talking about here. And I want you guys to notice again, this is assumed. He's assuming that you're giving. He's assuming that a disciple of Christ is going to be a giving person. So here's the truth. This idea of giving is a kind of a clear way to recognize whether money is a tool that you use or whether money is your master. Whether time is a tool that you use or whether time is your master. And if you're listening to this and you're not giving your money or your time, can I say something? That it should be something you're prayerfully considering. Because we see here that Jesus is saying, listen, this is something that you're going to do. When you do these things, it should look a certain way, not if. And so it's a good question for all of us all the time to come back to him and say, am I a slave to my money or my time? Am I a slave to these things or are they tools that God has given me to use for his kingdom? And those two things, money and time, are the two most valuable assets that every human being has. Because we all get the same 24 hours a day to use. And some of us say, man, Lord, what do you want to do with that time? How do you want us to use it? What conversations might you want to open up for us? How do you want me to serve in church? What does my Sunday look like? Does it look like coming to two services so I can serve at one and and be in the other? Or does it just look like I'm going to check a block and get it over with? Or does it look somewhere in between? What about your money? Does does tithing and, and, and things that the Lord might be putting on your heart to give get in the way of your fun? Or are you just sitting there saying, Lord, here it is. You've gave it all to me. What am I going to do with it? So these are things that we should be mindful of. And why are we doing these things? Well, he says, are we given to show others? No, that's not at all the point. If we're, if we're doing it to try to be outwardly righteous, right? If we're doing it to say like, oh, look at all the money I've given this year. Or, oh, wow, look at, look at this. I, I, I went and I handled, um, you know, somebody's rent for the month or, or whatever. If we're doing it for that reason, well, Jesus makes it clear like you get your reward right then and there. You're done. Right? God's not going to reward you further for the thing that you've already received the reward for. No, he goes further to explain that the Pharisees, right, this whole section, again, he's continuing through and saying, this is how the Pharisees do things. This is the, op- this is the way you've seen it done. The Pharisees, they made a huge show of giving money. They would go and they would prepare their alms and they would have it in a big basket and they would blow trumpets ahead of themselves. They would have people blowing trumpets so that all the beggars and everyone would show up knowing that, oh, wow, this wonderful, amazing, righteous man is going to give us money. They called out into the streets to let everybody know and show everybody what a righteous person they were. But the truth is, we're supposed to give in such a way, Jesus says, that our right hand doesn't even know what our left hand is doing. So basically, what's he saying? He's saying we're supposed to be giving and forgetting. We're not supposed to remember how much we've given to a certain person. Can I encourage you that whenever you let someone borrow money, I've had people say like, oh, I'm going to pay you back this much. Well, I don't give it with the expectation that they'll pay me back. If they do, that's a great thing. If they don't, they don't. I forget. 
And, and I, that's just something that I've had to work on and I continue to work on. But that's something that I think God's calling us to is to say, look, my money that I've given you is mine to use in you and through you. Not, it's not your money. And I think far too often we can get hung up on this idea that our time and our money is ours when in fact it's really not. It's literally God that breathes his breath into us every moment. The breath that I'm breathing now is his. And so thank God if I go out right at this moment, I'm doing what he's called me to do. That's a blessing. That's, that's what we're called to is to do what God's asked us to do. And so again, I'm not asking you or telling you that you need to give more and I'm not begging you for anything. I'm saying to all of us, what is God saying in your own heart about your time and your money? couple of things that I'm not saying as well is this, is that there are some people that say, you know, I don't, their idea of not knowing what the right hand is doing, you know, the right hand and the left hand is that when they tithe, when they give, they don't write it down. They don't let anybody know who did it. And that's fine. If that's your conviction, that's fine. But can I encourage you guys, my wife and I, we actually do write down what we do so that at the end of the year, we can look at our statement and say, you know, hey, we've given 10%. We've done what we felt like the Lord's called us to give. Um, and we do that. Now, that's not including our offerings. That's just our tithe. But we do that because we want to make sure that we're right, that we're doing it the way we feel God's called us to do. And so that's a good gauge for us to do, to know. And I'm saying all that now, and this is a very timely message, because for anyone that doesn't have um, their email address or their phone number with us, it would be great if you guys would get in the contact us page because we will be sending out those tithe letters uh, this month. So basically we're getting into this time of season where the tithe records go out and we look at, you know, hey, this is what you gave this year. And, and so it's a good opportunity. This message is a timely message to say, Lord, this is what I gave last year. What would you have me give next year? It's a great opportunity to kind of just lay this all before God and say, Lord, what have I done with my time? What have I done with my finances? And what do you want me to do going forward? He's also saying, Jesus was not saying, be completely unaware of your finances. He wasn't saying, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Literally, you know, like, don't worry about it. Oh, if you bounce checks, it's all good. No, not at all. What he's saying is that out of the abundance, out of the things that God's given you, you know, give joyfully and give sacrificially, right? It says that we're supposed to do charitable deeds. That idea of charity in the Greek, it speaks of this idea of that you're giving of yourself to a point that hurts a little bit. So it's this idea that you're giving freely and joyfully as a sign of your discipleship to God and as a sign that you trust God more than you trust your money or your time. So when you're doing it, you're supposed to do it as unto God. And I promise you that as you do that, I promise you, don't believe the lie of the enemy that your money needs to be put in the savings account more than it needs to be given. If God is telling you to give, give, because I promise you, it's the one part of scripture that he says, try me on this. Try me on this and see that I won't bless you. Because as you give of your time and of your money, you will bless God, you will bless others, and ultimately you will be blessed. And that's just a fact. And so I want to encourage you guys, just as Jesus is telling us here, we should be giving. Let's move on. Verse five. It says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So here Jesus again is speaking to something that you will do when you pray. And I want to point out, he's saying, look, here's how you don't do it. These are the ways that you're not supposed to do it. He's saying, you don't need to pray loudly so that everybody can hear you. You... You don't need to like make vain repetitions. You don't need to be doing these things. Why? Well, because there's no reward in that type of prayer. If you're doing it for that reason, you're really doing nothing. You might be gaining some points with people around you because of how righteous or holy you sound, but that's it. That's all you're getting out of it. So why is Jesus saying these things? Jesus is always pointing to the heart and the reason behind us doing anything. So when we do something, it's about our heart. It's never about what it looks like on the outside. If our heart is to make ourselves look righteous and holy, well then, good for you. You've done it. That's what he's saying. We gain nothing. But if we're aiming to see God glorified, we're gaining treasures in heaven. The Pharisees, again, they were well known for praying loudly and using these huge gestures and you know, making these repetitive statements all the time. If you guys want to flip over with me to Luke Chapter 18, this is a, a parable that Jesus used in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, and it's specifically dealing with two different people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we see here them praying, and this is kind of a fine example of what the Pharisees would look like. And so to the Jews that he was giving this parable to, they would have completely understood this. And so for us, as we read, let's get a picture of what the Pharisee would have looked like here. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 18, it says this in Luke. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We see here, 
Jesus making a clear indication that it's not about how loud you pray. It's not about the words you say. It's not about any of those things. It's about the heart that you're praying with. And I want to say something to us, guys, because I feel like it's such an area, these private disciplines for us to grow in. That as a church body, as believers with the Lord, we're constantly supposed to be growing. And this is an area of prayer that as a church, we will never, ever, 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 ever be grown up. We're never, ever, ever arriving at our time of prayer. And so I want to encourage us, guys, that there's never a time when you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, is my prayer life good enough? I promise you the answer is no. (laughs) It's never good enough because not that that's a beat down, but it's just an encouragement to say, press in, continue, seek him moment by moment, spend time with God, because I promise you that will never be time spent in vain ever. And the more we pray, the more we're just open and honest before the Lord, the more we grow in that sense of knowledge that God is hearing, that God is listening, and that he wants to hear what's going on inside of us. And so what's he saying here? He's saying, don't vainly repeat prayers. I think of some prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. This is a prayer that most children pray before they go to bed. And that's fine for kids, right? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us Lord our daily bread. Amen. Or my cousins had one that was like, good food, good eats, good God, let's eat. (laughs) Right? There's all these different prayers that we teach kids in order to teach them to begin to kind of grow them up a little bit into this idea that like, look, we give thanks before we eat because it's all God that brought all this food to us. We pray a prayer before we go to bed, not because it's a repetition thing, not because God's not going to send us to heaven if we don't pray the prayer. None of those reasons, but specifically to let him know like that our whole day, every part of our being is revolving around God. And those prayers are good for kids. But guys, if you're a mature believer, that is not a prayer for you anymore. We're called to deeper things. We're called to prayers that are, that are heartfelt, that are gut-wrenching prayers before the Lord. We're called to say, Lord, here is my heart. I'm cracking open my chest and I'm showing you everything that's in me. That's the prayers God's asking of us. You guys, some people have done this with the Lord's Prayer, what we just read. They've turned it into a vainly repeated prayer. And that's sad because the truth is we see it a lot in the Catholic church. You know, go and do this many Hail Marys and say this many Our Fathers and you're absolved of your sin and stuff. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. That's the truth. It doesn't work that way. This prayer is what? It's a prayer that we're supposed to pray in that manner. And so the idea is, is that, yes, there's a great deal we can learn from God's from Jesus and his prayer, the Lord's prayer. We can learn a lot from it. And if you're saying it, guys, can I encourage you? There's power in this prayer. Even as we read it, I don't know if you felt it in your own bones, but there's something about this prayer. And maybe it's just because Jesus himself was saying it to the Lord. But if we're repeating it just because, if we're doing it out of rope because we have it memorized and we're trying to show off for the fact that, wow, I've got the Lord's Prayer memorized. I did that when I was younger. I was like, man, look at me. I got this. And I really didn't. But I would try to repeat it to make myself sound cool or the 23rd Psalm. Those things, they don't mean anything if that's the heart you're doing it with. 
And so if you're going to say this prayer, can I encourage you guys? Take time. Take time as you speak those words to think about what you're actually saying. Take time to really dig in and, and, and understand that this prayer matters. But it's not this prayer that matters most. It's the heart that you're doing it in. Also realize this. Jesus tells us that we're not supposed to use vain repetition because God already knows what we're going to ask for. He already knows what we need. And so we never pray any prayer with the expectation that we're going to somehow twist God's arm. It's a very common thing in the health and wealth gospel to think that like, man, if I pray big enough prayers, if I have enough faith in my own heart that my prayer is going to change things, that my prayer is going to move mountains. And you know what? God does say that the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. But the truth of that is, is that God's will is done in earth, not your will. And that's the key difference. We never pray a prayer expecting God to move on our behalf. We pray a prayer to show God our heart and say, change my heart to what you want it to be. Change my will to be your will. That's the whole heart of prayer. It's not that we get our way. God forbid we would have our way. God forbid God would listen to any human being and go his way because I promise you it would never go correct. It would never go well. There would always be some horrible outcome. Why? Because we're flawed and he's not. Because he's omniscient and omnipotent and we're not. We're finite. We're nothing in comparison to God. And so I want his will in my heart to be done. I want his will to be modifying and changing me into a clearer picture of who he is. Not the other way around. Ever. So Jesus tells us, pray in this manner. What manner did he pray in? Let's, let's break this prayer down. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is holy or revered is your name. He's recognizing that God is in heaven and he is completely other than humanity. He's far above and completely outside of us. And I want you guys to stop for a second and think about that. Jesus, God in flesh, started out his prayer and said, Father God, who is holy and completely other than us, humanity. Let that sink in. You're not praying to your best friend. You're not praying to your spouse. You're not praying to your most trusted advisor. You're praying to God eternal in heaven. The truth is, is that the God of the universe sees you, created you, understands every little tiny bit of strand of your DNA. And you're praying to him who you barely understand, who you can barely get your head around. Do you guys understand the, the awe and the wonder that we should come to prayer in? That's what Jesus is starting off with. He's saying, recognize who you're praying to. He says next, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys, God's eternal kingdom is here for every believer. His Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. 
it's going to be here perfectly when Jesus returns and during the millennial reign, he will be here. We're going to see evidence of his rule and reign. But right now, the call is, the heart is, is that he's ruling and reigning in our own hearts already. That he is changing us, that he is completely evident in our hearts. And so our prayer to him is, God, change me. Make me a clearer picture. Use me in your kingdom now. Do you understand that we have not even begun to talk about us? We're still talking about him. This is the heart of prayer. If your prayer life is always just going to him with all of your stuff, God hears it. But can I tell you, this is the idea is that if you go to him with your stuff and that's all you're hearing, that's a really shallow view of prayer. Because the first thing you need to start with is God eternal. God, you are so much bigger than any than me or anything. You're bigger than this world. You're bigger than my problems. You're bigger than my stuff. Because if you start there, I promise you, your stuff and your problems will stay in context. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Again, if we understand who God is, can we trust and understand that God's going to take care of our daily needs? There's no doubt. We can trust that he's going to give us what we need. We don't have to doubt. Because again, we know who God is. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This debt here equals moral debt. It's a sin. Forgive us our sins. Moral debt. As we forgive those who have a moral debt against us, who've sinned against us. You guys, do you understand? Excuse me. Jesus here is saying, he's assuming that we're forgiving other people. This prayer is not having us say like, well, when that happens or, you know, if. No. He's saying, God, forgive us as we forgive those around us. The fact is, is that the more we realize and understand who God is and how much he's forgiven us, guys, we should not have bitterness in our hearts. It really cannot reside in the same heart that realizes and understands all that God did for you. It's just a fact. And so I want to encourage you that we're needy people. We're constantly in need of refreshing and washing from the Holy Spirit. We're constantly in need of God in our own lives. And the people around us are constantly in need too. And for those that don't know him yet, the best we can give them, the most refreshing we can give them as Christians is to forgive them and love them. Even when they're not lovable. We talked about that last week. Love your enemies. It's the heart of forgiveness that brings people to a place of repentance. It's grace and mercy that works. It's not hammering them with the word. It's not showing them and telling them all the areas they're doing wrong in. It's, it's the opposite. It's saying, Lord, give me the wisdom to speak truth into their lives, not sugarcoat the truth, but to do it in such a way that's loving and to be gracious in their mistakes. As we do that, guys, God forgives us. It says, for yours is the kingdom. I'm sorry. We're not supposed to be led into temptation. That's what he says. He says, but 
Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The fact is, is that we always are needing to be asking that, don't we? All of us. We're constantly in need. We don't have a place or a time where we're not in need of God. We could be there just like anybody else can be tempted, right? And we know that God doesn't do the tempting. We know the enemy does, but God allows that in our lives. So what is the point of all that? It's to drive us back to the cross. It's to drive us to our knees before him saying, God, I need you. I need you to raise up in me your strength, your courage, everything I need to walk through this with you. And then he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is the truth, guys. This is the truth of our existence is that it's his kingdom and his power and his glory. And I want you guys again, just like in the beginning, let that sink in. Let it wash over every problem, every issue you have in your life. God has it. His kingdom has no end. His kingdom, he's not spending one moment with coronavirus or with our political situation or with Iran launching missiles on people or with North Korea. He's not looking at anything in this world and somehow thinking, oh, wow, my kingdom is diminished. There's not one bit of this that catches him off guard. And so we can look and say, God, it's your kingdom and your power. And God, your glory is going to be evident in everything eventually. And right now, Lord, I want your glory and your kingdom and your power to be evident in my life. That's the joy. That's the freedom that we walk in. Jesus gives us one more knowledge bomb. He says this. If you forgive men your trespasses, you're forgiven. But if you don't, you're not forgiven. I feel like he kind of repeats himself a little bit. And anytime we see repetition in scripture, we know that it's important. And so guys, I just want to say one more time, Jesus forgave all of your sins, all of them. Stop a moment and think that through. Think of the worst possible thing you've done. And now imagine into the future what might be left for you to do. Jesus forgave all of that. And so who are we to think that another person's sins against us are worse? And on top of that, guys, who are we to think that Jesus didn't die for those sins also? There's not one sin that happens either to us, through us, or around us that Jesus wasn't fully aware of and didn't go to the cross for. And so... Can I encourage you? Don't walk around chained to bitterness and unforgiveness. Don't walk around with those huge, heavy chains. We talked about this the other week. Bitterness is a poison that you drink expecting the other person to be poisoned when in fact you're the only one that's getting hurt. And so the fact is, guys, let God heal your past hurts. Bring them to him and, and bear your soul in prayer. Give them to him and say, here they are, Lord. You know them. We've all got them. We have past hurts. We have things that are hard for us to deal with. And if you haven't, then you can go and praise God that you haven't had anything hard yet. 
But can I encourage you guys that we're to give God all of it? Because as we do that and as we give that up, we free ourselves up. We walk in the grace that God has. We have freedom as we walk in grace. Let's look at this last section. Verse 16 says this. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So this is the last of the private disciplines that Jesus again assumes that his disciples are doing. So you guys, fasting is very important and it's not really all that commonly taught and I feel like it's always this kind of weird thing. It always was for me as I was growing up in the Lord. And the fact is, I want to say some things that fasting is not. Fasting is not, again, twisting God's arm to accomplish your will. Never will be that. Nothing that we do in God's word, nothing, no discipline, nothing that we do is ever meant to twist God's arm. It's the other way around. It's meant to bring us into alignment with him. The second thing is, is that it's not a Christian weight loss program. You can't fast, you shouldn't fast to lose weight. Sometimes that is a result, but that's not the point. And the last thing is, it's not a way to brag to your friends about how holy you are. The fact is, fasting at its core is denying yourself in order to see God more clearly. More clearly. It's, it's kind of taking something away from yourself that you feel like you need in order to see with clarity. Fasting, first off, guys, doesn't have to be from food. You could fast from social media. You could fast from your favorite TV show. You can fast from anything, but I find food to be a big one because I like food. And so whenever I fast from food, it's one of those things for me that I do. It's not about how it's done. It's not about the certain way that you do it. But for me personally, I tend to set an amount of time that I'm going to fast. And I set that aside to the Lord. And I say, Lord, I'm going to fast for this many days. Or I'm going to fast for this many hours even sometimes. Or I'm just going to fast over lunch or whatever. And whatever my fast looks like, it helps me to push through the struggle. Because it is a struggle. I promise you guys, if you've never fasted, the first time you do, you will be hungrier than you've ever felt in your entire life. I promise you that there is spiritual warfare that's attached to fasting. And it's one of the reasons why I feel like we need to understand that fasting has power. It's not power to change God's mind, like we said, but it is power to see and hear God more clearly. And so fasting and prayer are kind of like two peas in a pod because the heart, the idea of fasting is that as you're giving up this thing, you're spending that time that you normally would. So you would, instead of eating lunch, you're spending that time praying. You're spending that time with God in the word and you're feasting on him. That's the heart of it. And so it's not about an amount of time. It's not what it looks like. It's not how it all looks, but here's the truth. The power in fasting comes from the heart that says, I'm setting this aside. I'm setting aside my physical need for food because, Lord, I want to hear you more clearly about this. And why do you fast? Well, there's a lot of reasons. You can pray and fast for another situation in your life or another person's situation or even for another person. 
You can pray for someone to come to salvation. You can pray and fast for a situation in someone's life that you want to see changed. Again, not because you're asking God to twist his will, but because you want to see God's will more clearly. You can pray for direction. If there's just something that you don't have a clear picture on of what you're supposed to be doing, fasting is a great way to say, Lord, I'm setting this aside. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to know what direction you want me to take. You can fast just because you want to be closer to the Lord. I find more and more that the more I fast, the more my fasting is really just because I want to spend time with God on a deeper level. And there is something special about that. Lastly, can I say that fasting is one of those things. It's like prayer and it's like giving in the sense that these private disciplines, all of them, as you do them, the more you do them, the more your heart grows in wanting to do them. You might have trouble the first time you fast. You might say, Lord, I'm going to fast for two days. And you might get a day in and the next day you're like, I'm dying right now. Right? Like there's, there's that sense of growth. The first time I prayed privately, we were uh, at a church I was at in Nebraska. There was a prayer time that we all had and we would go before the service for an hour and pray. And I remember the first time I showed up, I went over and they gave me a little card of things to pray for. And I went over and in five minutes I was done. And I was like sitting there like, okay, like everything's, everybody's done. And it wasn't long. It was like a month maybe that it took of me just faithfully showing up and praying that that five minutes turned into 20 minutes and then a half an hour and then 45 minutes. And then it was everybody coming over and tapping me on the shoulder or tapping everybody on the shoulder and saying, hey, it's time to be done. You grow. You grow in these disciplines as you do them. And so fasting is no different. So Jesus was saying, hey, we're not doing it to show off. Then it means nothing. So when you're fasting, no one else should really know you're fasting. Now, if someone has to find out because they offer you some food and you're like, oh, no, I don't want any, and they keep pressing, it doesn't matter. That doesn't take away from the heart of fasting if you say, no, I'm fasting today. The heart of it, though, is is that it should be done in such a way that you could not see it from the outside any differently than if you were eating food every, you know, all day long. There should be no difference in how you look or how you act. It's the heart of saying, God, this is your time and my time personally and privately. That's the heart of fasting. That's the heart of prayer. You guys, we've looked at a lot. We've been looking at a lot and we're continuing through this Sermon on the Mountain. We have a lot more time to go through, a lot more stuff to go through. And there's so much to chew on. But I want to encourage you guys, just like I have been, take some time. Do a self-assessment. Don't ever let this word just fall by the wayside and be like, okay, great sermon, and then walk away from it. If you do that, you're missing the point. You're like in the book of James where it says that, you know, you look in a mirror and then you walk away and forget what your face looks like. The point of God's word is to reflect back to us our own heart and for us to see and say, wow, Lord, my heart's dirty here and I need it to be clean. I need you to clean it. And so I want to encourage you. What does your giving look like between you and the Lord? And that's a question only you can answer. If you are married and you're a couple, come together and pray about that. What does your giving look like? What does your time that you're giving to your fellow brothers and sisters here at church, to people outside the church, what does that look like? What's your prayer life look like? 
Is it a bunch of uh, requests? Is it popcorn prayers all throughout the day, just five minutes here, five minutes there, that's all you got time for? Or is there time where you're really sitting down and having a deep, rich conversation with your Savior? Because that's what he's asking for. That's what he wants from all of us is to just take some time, spend a half an hour and just talk and listen and read and, and just be with him. I promise you that time will never be wasted. And lastly, I want to ask if you've ever fasted or ever thought about it. It's not a matter of doing it because you want to uh, try and impress anybody. The idea of fasting is just you want to know God more. You want clarity. You want to see him more clearly. If you want that, let me encourage you. Fast. Spend some time with him. Set aside lunch even. Every day for a week and just say, God, you and me, I'm going to spend time with you today. There's never going to be a loss in any of these areas as you give them to God. You guys, God is always calling us to grow. So if we're ever here and we're growing stagnant, can I say that that's a clear sign that God wants to change something? And so the fact is, is that we should never shy away from seeing God and and asking God and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because he's faithful to show us the areas that we need to change. He's faithful. And the only response for a disciple is to be obedient, (laughs) to agree with him and say, yeah, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring the change in my, in my life that you want to bring. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.